0: You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Glad you're here. We are going to be in the book of 1 John. If you're kind of visiting new, the way we kind of work through what we do here is we kind of work through books of the Bible from the beginning to the end. And we've been, we're in week six of about a 14 week series on the book of 1 John. And so the book of 1 John is kind of at the end of the Bible. If you turn to the very end and kind of flip slowly back, you'll get there. You'll see 3 John, 2 John, and then 1 John. So we're going to be in chapter two. Growing up, um, I, I remember watching, you know, I was kind of an 80s TV guy, right? So a lot of, of these sitcoms that I watched growing up always had this, this great dad, right? It was, uh, you know, Howard Cunningham. Man, I loved Howard Cunningham. I loved uh, Happy Days and the Fonz, and, and Howard would just kind of be there. He's just this kind of strength in the family. Um, Jason Seaver on Growing Pains. Remember Growing Pains? Great show. Mike Brady on the Brady Bunch. Great dad. How about uh, Carl Winslow? You watch Family Matters, what a great dad. He was a policeman, great dad. Or Uncle Phil on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? Great dad. Um, Where where usually, you know, every episode would have some kind of tension or issue with the kids or whatever. And there was so often just a scene where, you know, Uncle Phil would grab the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and just kind of sit him down and just have a heart-to-heart and just kind of give direction and speak some truth and encouragement, and, and somehow that, that issue would be resolved in 22 minutes of that sitcom, right? Um, uh, the text today, it reads almost like that. We're here, God, our Heavenly Father, is going to kind of just take us and sit us down and just have a heart-to-heart and say, here, here's what I, here, I'm your Heavenly Father, I'm your dad, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to to." to Understand, here's, here's what I want you to be. Here's my dreams for you. Here's my aspirations, but here's what I want you to know. It's, it's the father opening up his heart to his children. And so as we've been working through this book, we, we entitled the series that you may know because the key verse that you may know you have eternal life. But every week there's just something that John is trying to, to reveal and, and remind because there's these false teachers and they're trying to pull these people away and they've left the church and they're trying to deceive. And so he keeps coming back to, I want you to know this. And so we, the first week we looked at who just John was. John knew Jesus better than anybody. He was his cousin. He spent three and a half years walking with him. He's now spent 60 years kind of as a follower And so we get to see his heart. And then we understood this, that you may know forgiveness and you may know assurance of salvation, that you may know that you're in the family of God. Last week, that you may know the real deal versus the fraud, the cardboard cutout. And today, John's gonna kind of unpack that you may know the father's heart. I want you to know the father's heart for you, right? Because our father in heaven is a perfect dad. He's a good father. I know some of you, your images of your dad was not good. Maybe you didn't have a dad. Maybe you had an absentee father or a friend dad or abusive dad. That's not God, the heavenly father. He is good. And as good of a dad as we may be on this earth, Jesus still says, you know what? You're still evil, right? Put that in your Hallmark card to your dad. Hey, dad, Jesus says you're evil. Happy Father's Day. Boom. Boom. But that's what he says. He he tells us, he says, hey, which one of you fathers, your son asks for an egg, you give him a scorpion. He asks for a fish, you give him a snake. He said, you don't do that. And you're evil. How much more your father in heaven is good. And so this good heavenly father is going to sit us down today and say, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to be. Here's what I want you to do. He's gonna give us three things Right this morning. So we're going to jump in and we're in verse 28. All right, We're just going to jump right in uh, that you may know the father's heart. He says, and now little children, this is John as their spiritual fathers speaking on behalf of the heavenly father. He says, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him and shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, and we do, You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The first thing he tells us, what the father wants you to have, wants you to know right up front. He tells us, he said, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have what? Confidence. Your heavenly father wants his children to have confidence. It's a word that means boldness, no fear, no shame. And that, that he actually hints at that. He says, I want you to have confidence and not, what, shrink away. I don't want you to have shame. I don't want you to hang your head. I want you to be bold and fearless. And this is not, he's not talking about uh, self-confidence and, okay, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and I on people like me. He's not talking about that kind of self-confidence. Right? He tells us what kind of confidence. Confidence, what? When he returns so that we will not, run away. The idea is when Jesus comes back, you're like, "Woo! Yes, I have been waiting." There's excitement and there's not, "Oh, Jesus, I wish you would have told me. I could have gotten re- I, I wasn't quite ready for you." That's shrinking away rather than, "Yes." When I was at the Citadel, we had this thing every year called President's Inspection where the president, who was a three-star general at the time, would inspect the Corps of Cadets. And he would just kind of randomly do it because there was 2,000 of us, but you knew it was coming. Here's this three-star general, he comes through, he looks at your personal appearance, he you know, kind of walks through, and then he goes in your room and he gets his little white glove and, shh, and sees it dust, right? But see, the thing is, you knew it was coming. It was on the calendar, everybody, you know, months in advance. So if you weren't ready, then it was on you. You didn't, you didn't get ready because everyone knew it was coming. But there would be other times when these higher-ranking officers would just kind of show up. There was one such occasion on a Monday evening. I know it was a Monday evening because Monday evening at the Citadel in the 90s was 90210 night, okay? <laughs> and don't ask me about that. I'll tell you later. But so, as a, as a cadet, the only ones who were allowed to have television sets were seniors. And this is in the days of big box TVs with like a coat hanger that you had a guy, guy, okay, stay there, it's your turn to hold the hanger and you have to like stay there because then you can get reception, right? That's, that's the good old days. Um, so Monday night was night My roommate, we weren't seniors, but he had an eight inch black and white television set. All right, and so since no sophomores and juniors could could watch TV, uh, we'd have 10, 15, Uh, Young men just sitting there watching Luke Perry at West Beverly High School, like huddled around this little eight-inch television, right, on Monday evening for 90210 slash Melrose Place Night, all right? Um, So, uh, and on one occasion, this was taking place, and all of a sudden, the door opens, and there is a full bird colonel who walks right on in. That is shame shrinking away. Fortunately, your favorite cadet, Fowler, was out that evening and didn't get busted, even though it was his room, Okay, so they all lost their rank and were on restrictions for weeks, where I was not. But the idea is this, they weren't ready. And, when, and he, what he is saying is, I want you to be excited for the return of Christ and have confidence and fearlessness, and I don't want you to be caught watching 90210 when he returns, right? Because the implication is, he's talking to a group of Christians that some, some believers will not be ready. And Jesus is gonna come back and you'll be like, oh, man, I wish I, wish I would've fixed these, these relationships with my family members that I kind of train wrecked at Thanksgiving last year. Or I wish I would've handled my money better. I wish I would've been a little bit more serious about my faith and plugged into local church, right? I, got, I mean, I got all these kind of issues that I'm dealing with. I'm, I got some stuff hidden in my phone. I'm kind of ashamed of that. I got lost family members. I got buddies I haven't told anything about Jesus. He says, I don't want, the Father's heart is, I don't want that to be you. I want you to have confidence. I want you to be ready. I want you, as verse 29 says, to, pre, to be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I want you to be practicing righteousness. And so we'll come back to that, into that, right? And how do we, so how, are we be, how can we be ready? How are we ready? He tells us, he says, abide, abide in him so that when he appears, you have confidence. Confidence comes from what? From abiding, and the word abide, know in the, in the original, just means to dwell, to remain, to be close, that you are drawing near to God. And what does God do? He draws near to you. So whatever it is in your life that causes you to draw near, abide, do that. Last week, we were, I've been cutting down vines and trees and stuff at my house lately, and half the vines have been poison ivy, which has not been festive for our family, but I I cut a bunch of these vines and the next day I go out and I look at them and they're all withered up and they're dried up. Why? Because they have not, they've been cut from the life of itself, from the root and they wither. And that's some of us maybe, we've we've been kind of distant and we're withering on the vine and he's saying, draw near, pursue intimacy, whatever that is, whatever it is that stokes an affection in you for God, do that. If it's listening to sermons, which some of you, you just love it, you listen to blogs and sermons, great. If that that stirs your affections for your father, then do that. If it's going for a run on the beach, looking at the sunset and just thinking and reflecting on God's glory, do that. If it's listening to praise music in your earphones and going for a walk or a, you know whatever, a bike ride, do that. If it's hanging out with a bunch of Christians and just encouraging one another and getting together in a community group, serving, whatever it is that stokes your affections for God, do it, abide, because then you will have confidence and not be watching 90210 when he returns. I don't even know if they have that show anymore, but don't watch it, it's dumb, okay. That's what your father wants. He doesn't want you to be a hider. Remember who the original hiders were? Adam and Eve. I mean, they used to walk daily with God in the garden. He would show up and they'd be like, yes! And they'd walk and they'd talk and he'd tell me that I am your own, right? That's the old song. Um, But then they they sin and then what do they become? They become hiders. No, God wants you to be excited. He wants you to have confidence. Uh, He wants you to be pumped. Yes, I've been waiting. I've been longing. That's 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 his heart for us. Our our little puppy, she's so funny. You can leave the house for literally five minutes. I mean, you, you walk out the door, you come back in that door. It is like you've been gone for a year. She is so excited, and she's her, her whole rear end wags because her tail. It's just like she can't even control herself, and she will jump on you, and you got to get down. My wife says, so "Tell her how much you miss her." So I got to get down on the ground, and I'm like, "Oh, I miss you so much!" And she just rolls around, and she just for five minutes goes bonkers and is so excited. I just went out to get the mail. I don't mean i been, been gone. That is how excited she is. That is what the father wants for us for the return of the Savior, and you can have it if you abide. It's his heart for you, right? So the question is, are you, are you abiding? Because if you're not, it's not too late because he hadn't returned, right? Whatever that is that, that draws near to him, do that. Let's continue in our text, verse chapter three, verse one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Love it, circle it, underline it now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That last line kind of shows the heart of God here. The ESV is a little wooden here and I wish it would have translated a little bit different. It says everyone who thus hopes. I don't know what thus hopes. I don't speak like that. The literal rendering, this makes it actually a verb, but it's actually a noun in the original language. It says, in the original it says, and everyone who has this hope. Everyone who has this hope. Hope purifies himself as he is pure. What does the Father want you to have? He wants you to have hope. Simple, profound word. And again, we've talked about this a ton. But if you're new and you never heard it, hope is not. Hope it happens. Hope the cold weather stays. Hope is a confident expectation in something. Not well. It may happen. It may not. Uh, my son. Seth has this awesome fish tank. I mean, it's awesome. We got it for his birthday. It's like a 40 gallon, big old, you know, thing. And he's got all these cool rocks and plants and these cool little things that the fish go in and out of. It's just, it's just really cool. And the first couple of fish we had, it wasn't so cool for them because they got sick. right? and so they get this ick stuff. And, you know, our medical training does not allow us to fix fish. And so, uh, I, I, so on one occasion, I'm like, man, I just don't wanna see him get sick and die. I'm like, hey, Nemo says all drains lead to the ocean. Let's put them in. Because it, in my mind, it's like this hope there for them, right? Maybe they make it, but I don't know either way, right? So that's not this hope. I hope they made it to, the, to see the ocean. Now this is, I know. I know, right? He even uses that language. The reason the world does not know him is does not know us. Beloved, we know, we are God's children, Right, we know it. And and he's gonna give us kind of a couple ways we can have hope in him. Notice it's the phrases, everyone who hopes in him purifies himself. What What about our hope in him does he want us to know? What does he wanna bring a confident expectation of? He wants you to know three things. Let me write these down. These are huge. He wants you to have hope knowing, number one, that you are loved. That you are loved. He goes out of his way. See. It's a command. It's actually in the imperative. The old King James, I think, says, behold, right, which is a little wooden, but it's a good idea. Think about it. Behold, see what kind of love. And that word, what kind, it means what country it's from. The idea is like a little figure of speech. When you say, man, what planet are you living on? What are you saying? You're a wacko. It's it's different, it's different, right? He says, what planet is this love from? It's so out there, it's so distinct, it's so amazing, it's so unlike anything else. What kind of love the Father has given to us? That you are loved with a love that is so different than what you can possibly fathom, right? It is unique, it is far superior than anything we can understand. God's love is selfless, we could talk about it. We're gonna talk more about love next week, but God's love is selfless. Have you ever thought about the fact that God gains nothing from loving you? Right, what do we get? Everything. What does he get? Nothing. Right? He didn't need us. He doesn't, it doesn't, we don't add to God. God is full in his triune self. He doesn't need any more. Yet he loves us getting nothing. That is the ultimate of selfless love. Love giving of himself. His love, think about the duration of his love. It endures what? What does the psalmist say? It endures forever. Here's, here's, here's something that should just blow your mind. That before God created the universe, when it was just God and there was nothing else, God chose to lavish you with love. That He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. Right? He chose that He was going to love. You that you were going to be one of his before anything. That, that just is mind blowing, and it had nothing to do with how great you were going to be. You were going to be a great athlete, a great business person, a great a great this, a great that. No, no, had nothing to do with that. The only reason we even love him is why because he first loved us. We're going to see it next chapter. That's, it, it's an endless, and it's a love with all knowledge, isn't it? He knows everything about you before it happens. He knows all those thoughts that you would never tell anybody. He knows everything you've done, everything you're going to do, and yet he still loves you anyway. Why? Because his love is not based on your performance, on what you do, on anything. It is based on him. It's based on Jesus' performance. That's the kind of love we're talking about. What I want you to know and give you hope in church is that your heavenly father is crazy about you. And some of you need to hear it because no one's told you that. You haven't heard I love you, that you were loved, that you were cared for. And it's been a minute since there's been a nice word said to you. You feel unworthy. All you hear about is how you fail and how disappointing you are and all these things. And you need to know that your heavenly father thinks you're awesome. He loves you with a selfless, unconditional Enduring love. You may think you're worthless. He says, you're not worthless. I love you. And that gives you hope. And I love you. Here's a second reason why you can have hope. Because you're his kid. Think about that. What does he say? Beloved, we are God's children now. Now, right? Right? how great a love the father has given us we should be called children of God. And so we are, he goes out of his way to say you are his kid. And you know, every father thinks his kid's the greatest, right? I mean, you go to a little league game or a soccer game or whatever, every dad in the stands, put my kid at shortstop. He's the best. Your kid just struck out in t-ball, dude. He's not the best. He's the best. Why? Because every dad thinks his kid's the best, the smartest, the greatest. You gotta know that that's how your heavenly father feels about you, right? Because when you grasp this, that you are a child of God, now based on your performance, based on Jesus, this is who your identity is. If your identity is wrapped up in how pretty I am, how successful I am, how much I do, how much I don't do, if it's wrapped in there, you will never have hope because you don't know if you've done enough. If it is based in who Jesus is and what he has done, you know we are his child now. That gives hope. Right, that gives hope. This is how God feels about you. And I'm telling you, we all have struggled with this. When I was especially a younger preacher, I used to, my my emotional state was based on what kind of sermon I would preach. If it was a good sermon or I thought it was a good sermon, man, I felt loved. If it was a bad sermon, I'm like, man, I gotta do better next week. And it was up and down and up and down. And finally I realized, I came to the place like, whether I preach good or not, it doesn't matter because I am a child of God and God loves me. And he says, that's my kid. Love them, right? That's a great place to be. That is how God feels about you if you're his child. Now, it's important to differentiate those who are his child and those who aren't because in our culture, everyone, everyone's a child of God, right? Woo! Everyone is made in God's image. Yeah, that's true. Everyone is a creation of God. That is true. Everyone has value. Absolutely. Everyone is a child of God. No, that is not True. And what we usually do is like, well, the good people are God's children, the bad people are bad, and where's the line between good and bad? Okay, we know Hitler's bad. Okay, we put him on that side and Stalin, but what about this guy? Well, you know, we don't know. He's in the middle. That's not how God does it. He tells us who is his children, who is not. To all who did receive him, what does that mean? Those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right, the privilege, the authority to become children of God, who were born, not of blood. Everyone's born of blood, right? We're all physically born, nor the will of the flesh, but the will of—or nor the will of man, but of God. Those who have been born again, those who have put their faith in Christ, those are His children. Does He love the world? He does, but His children, those who put their faith in Him, are His beloved. They're His kids. That's what He says, right? So we hope, knowing we are loved with an everlasting love. We hope, knowing that we are His kids, and we hope, knowing. That he will finish what he started so he says right again verse two beloved we are god's children now and what we will be that means there's going to be something different has not yet appeared but we know there's our hope that when he appears we shall be like him why because we shall see him as he is Everyone who thus hopes has this hope in him, purifies himself as he is pure. What he's saying is that when Jesus shows up, whether you, whenever you see Jesus the next time, whether that's through your death or through his return, there is going to be a change, immediate. And you will be transformed. You will be like him, right? He, you will become like He is, that's why the resurrection, the bodily, physical resurrection is important because you will be given a new body that will be like his. This is what Paul says. I mean, this is throughout the New Testament. This is our hope, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, what, transform our lowly body. This is called lowly body, right? It doesn't matter, you think, well, no, I'm like 7% body fat and I can lift my weight, blah, blah, blah. Lowly body. Care okay, what it is, it's lowly. And one day you will be given a highly body where everyone is the same height and no one can make fun of people. <laughs> right? He will transform it. You will have a glorious body. How? By the power that enables him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that's death for the Christian. But we shall all be changed. There's transformation in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Right, changed. The perishable, this, lowly, must put on imperishable. The mortal, this, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. This is the final day. Then shall come to pass this statement. And this this is us mocking death, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Nada. Where is your sting? Nada. Why? Because you will be like him, immortal. Live forever. Think about that. No pain. No pain. Go for a run. No pain. How many of you got up this morning and there was pain? Pain. My feet hurt. I don't know why, but they hurt. Their feet, they're just bones. What does that hurt? Why? Poison ivy. I got poison ivy all over my arms because I'm trying to make the... Pain. No more pain. No more cancer. No more arthritis. No more sleepless nights. No more shame or guilt or sorrow. No more longing to see loved ones. So many people in our body lost a mom, a dad, a spouse, a kid, a cousin, a friend, every tear will be wiped away. And you know what's gonna be left? is just, just love. You know, Paul says, abide in these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. You know why the greatest is love? Because one day you won't need faith anymore because your faith will be your eyes. You will see Jesus. So you're not gonna have to believe because he's gonna be right there. And you won't need hope anymore because hope will be realized. It'll be standing in front of you. So the only thing left will be love, which is why love is the greatest. He says, that's going to happen. That he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ. That is what he wants us to know. This is the Father telling us, I want you to have hope. Here's how you have hope. Know that you are loved by me. No matter what, you will always be my son. Know that you are... Part of this family that I have made you a child of God, and know that one day I'm going to finish it all, and it's going to be great. That's what He wants you to know. He wants you to have confidence in His coming. Why? How abide? He wants you to know you are loved, that you are His child, that He will finish what He started, and that gives you hope. And then there's one more thing, verses four through ten, and He kind of repeats Himself over and over. Let's just kind of unpack it. But ultimately, here's what He's looking for. He wants family resemblance. He wants you to look like part of the family, right? Here's what he says in four and five. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin and lawlessness are the same. You don't want anybody to tell you what to do. You wanna do what you wanna do. That's called lawlessness. That's called sin. That's called missing God's mark of perfection. He says, and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He's like, you know that, right? You know that Jesus came for one reason, to take away sin. That's why he came. And in Jesus, there is no sin. He's kind of reminding them of these things, right? You know that he came for this reason, to take away sin. That's all right. He didn't just come because he's like, oh, I just want to come and visit folks and see what's going on. No, he came for one reason. Jesus says, uh, he's in the garden. He's sweating drops of blood. He says, uh, my soul is, is greatly troubled. But what should I say? Father, take me, remove this cup from me. Take this hour away from me. I've come for this reason, He tells the disciples at one point, I'm going up to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm I'm gonna be crucified, I'm gonna come back in three days. Peter says, no way, God, Jesus, is not gonna happen. He says, get behind me, Satan, this is what I'm doing. You're not setting your, your heart on God, you're setting your heart on your man. Paul says that Jesus Christ came to save sinners among who I am most, chief sinner. That's why he came right? He came to take the penalty of your sin. That's what we call justification, that you've been declared righteous. He came to take the power of sin away from your life so you can have victory over it. That's called sanctification. He came to remove you from the very presence of sin one day when he returns. That will be glorification. That's why he came. And so he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Why? The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And the idea here is this. Sin matters. Jesus has no sin. Jesus came to destroy sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Genesis three fifteen 15, that the, the seed of a, a woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's why he came. So don't let these false teachers, these people say, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. You you can do what you want. He says, no, it matters. Sin matters. Why? Because you are a child of God. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. That's what he says next. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And if you take the Bible seriously, like we do as a church, you read that, you're like, that's a tough verse. Because anyone in this room, keep on sinning? Yeah, me and you, we're the only ones right here, okay? Everyone else is lying, so they're really sinning. Yes! Right? But that's why I think the ESV does, helps us out by translating this phrase, makes a practice of sinning. It's, it's someone who is habitually in rebellion and lawlessness and doesn't care what God says. I'm going to do this no matter what God says because I am the captain of my own ship. And he says, if that is you and there's never been a desire to follow God and you don't care that you sin and you don't care that you're in rebellion, you just kind of whatever, whatever, whatever. He says, that person has not been born of God. I don't care when they were baptized, I don't care if they go to church. Because you cannot keep on deliberately rejecting God and not care. I'm not saying you will not sin. I sin all I want and I don't want it. Right? So it's not saying that you never sin. We've already covered that in chapter one. The one who says he has not sinned is a liar. Chapter two, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's not about perfection. It's about, hey, is God put his, his spirit in you that gives you a new desire to follow him? And that, yes, you're gonna sin, but when you do, you're like, man, that's not who I am. That's not who I wanna be, right? That is the idea. Because here's the point, verse 10. This is the family resemblance piece. By this, it is evident. By what? Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? I love that word evident. Underline it in your Bible, underline it in your mind. What does it mean to be evident? It means to be clear. It's obvious. It is obvious to everyone who has ever met me that I do not play in the NBA. It's obvious. It's clear, right? What's, there's, if, you, if you're from another place, not from Savannah, it's, you just need to have a conversation with you. You can tell where you're from. If you, if you go to the, to the restaurant, you order a pop, give me a pop. We know you're not from here. You order a soda. Give me a soda. What kind of soda do you have? We know you're not from here. You order an unsweet tea. We know you're a pagan. <laughs> Give me an unsweet tea. What are you talking about? Where do you know? Do you know where you are? We know Dallas Cowboy fans. Why? Because they're still talking about relevancy in the 90s, right? We know, it's evident. It's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. How? The one who practices righteousness is righteous, the one who doesn't. And how do we practice righteousness? What does that look like? Understand, he's not saying be nice, that way you're a children of God. Remember, the order is correct, that you were born of God and then you practice righteousness. It's not, I practice righteousness so I can be born of God. The order is key. But he says, if you have been born of God, you will practice righteousness. If you're not, you won't right? Here's what family resemblance he wants. And we're going to look at real quick. We'll talk about the one and the next week we'll get the other family resemblance is seen in obedience and love. And he comes back to these, we've already seen them like three times. We're going to see it like three more, right? Cause he wants us to grasp it, but it's obedience and love. And the whole next week we'll talk about love, but here's the idea. You have DNA from God, the father, his spirit dwelling inside you. And it, you should, as you grow up, you should start looking more like your dad. I do. It scares me all to death. And we do things like all, all the parents in the room, you know, when we were kids, we're like, I'll never do that. I'll never say those things to my kids. And we do. I'll never tell, you know, our parents said it to us. If you, your friends jump off a bridge, you're gonna jump off a bridge? Yes. And what do we do? We say it to our kids. What do they say? Yes. We tell them money don't grow on trees. I'll never say that to my kids. I'm gonna be generous. What do we do? What do you think money grows on trees? Right? Remember when your parents would drop you off and you know you were like, Can you drop me off you know, a little bit before the school or a little bit after the house? Because you know, it's not cool. And your parents were like, no, I'm not doing that. And they drop you right off front. You're like, I'll never do that to my kids. How many of you are like, drop, I'm dropping you right off front? What are you talking about? We all got out of our own Vinny vans back in the day. You're gonna do it too. Or are your parents dressed in a certain way that embarrassed you? My dad used to have these t-shirts, he'd tuck his t-shirt in, he'd pull his pants real high, wear these sandals, I'm like, he looks crazy, I'm like, hanging on. now what do I do? I'm like, I don't care, I'll wear sandals, I'll tuck my shirts in, I don't care. Why, because we're like our parents, even if we don't wanna admit it, we look like our parents. And that's what he's saying, look like your dad. Why, because you represent the family. You represent your father. And when you practice in righteousness, it gives him glory. And it's not to be seen by men. We're talking about making ourselves seen. It's not the idea. The idea is you're just repping the family. And your father's like, hey, I want you, I want you to go out and, 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 and represent our family well. All right? I want you to represent our family well. And he's given boundaries. And boundaries are good. We do it with our kids, don't we? Don't play in the street. Not because it's like we're trying to steal our joy. We're trying to save their lives. It's not that we tell you don't put your finger in that socket because you know, it's a lot of fun and I'm trying to keep you from fun, right? No, because it's dangerous and your heavenly father is saying, hey, there's certain things that I'm trying to protect you from. Immorality, I want you to flee immorality. Why? Because I don't want you to, this will eat your lunch. It'll destroy your heart, Right? I want, you, I want you to be kind and I want you to be humble. Why? Because when you're humble, I will exalt you in the proper time. I want you to be generous because it, 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 I'm generous and you're, you're repping the family. Man, we had somebody this week, I, my wife put us on Facebook and some of you saw it uh, and commented on it and, I, and I, it just it blew us away. We were out at a restaurant eating dinner you know, and uh, Bella's having some Italian food, some breadsticks, it was great. And you get the bill and someone had paid for it. And I'm like, it's one of y'all. And thank you so much, because it blessed our socks off. But here, even more than it blessed us, you know what? Your heavenly father looked down and said, hey, Gabriel, that's my kid. Do you see that? That's what I'm talking about. That's what he wants. That's the idea. Because you represent the family, right? And when we're not, when we're not practicing righteousness, we, we bring... A certain name to the family. Right? We've been, we've seen this. We've gone to Target and there's a kid in front of us. He's, he's slamming his. Oh, with that sticker spot! And the mom's like, "You can't have the sticker. Oh, with the sticker spot!" Front a tantrum, and you're like, "I'll take that kid for a week and I'll fix that." Right? You've been there, and you've been there because that's been your kid, whether you admit it or not. And our implication is, yeah, that family—they don't know what they're doing, even though they do. It's just that's a kid. But, but that's the same idea. When, when you're out there, God says, I want you to represent the family. I just want you to be distinct. And so if you're a single high school student, college student, young adult, whatever, you, the way you date should be distinct than the way the world dates, right? Shacking up together before marriage, friends with benefits, hooking up, all these things. It should be distinct. It should be different. Why? Because you're a child of God. You're a high school student. Everyone's cheating, you should be different, and you're not cheating. It's, it's just about being distinct. The way you talk to your parents. You're not lying. You're not sneaking. You don't, have a, you don't have a second phone that your parents don't know about. We know. We can check the Wi-Fi through X-Fi just so you know. That, you're not doing that, but why? You're distinct. You're not slamming your spouse in front of your friends, being disrespectful about your wife, being disrespectful of your husband. Why? Because you're distinct, you're a child of God. You're not showing up late to work. You're not watching cat videos on Facebook. You're not, uh, you know, fudging the numbers in the book. Why? Because you're a child of God. There's a distinction. You're not slamming the boss behind his back. You're not always complaining and grumbling because everything's so unfair. Why? Because you're a child of God. You don't go out of town on a business trip and just go do what everyone else does because no one will ever know because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I don't try to get back and hold a grudge and and try to make sure I get my way all the time. Why? Because I am a child of God and there's a distinction and that's what he says, that's what he wants. This is what we talk about, go be the church, to let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify dad. Your father wants you to know. He wants you to have confidence. How? Abide. He wants you to have hope knowing you are loved, knowing you're his kids and knowing he will complete what he began in you and he wants you to rep the family. He wants you to look like your dad and you do that by following him and by loving. That's the father's heart and here's the greatest thing. When you fail and you will, he doesn't say, I can't believe my kid disown you. Here's why. Because when God the father looks down at you Ultimately, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus Christ. He sees his own son. This is why in him there is no sin. This is what he sees in you if you are in him. It's his righteousness. It's his performance. It's his perfection so that you can be part of the family of God. That is, what, that is the gospel. That is ultimate hope. It's not based on how I live. It's not based on my performance and how faithful I am or not. It's based on how Christ was faithful. That is the good news of the gospel. And we're going to celebrate that.